Hey, hey, it's Coach Dr. Kim. I started this journey after having a stroke at the age of 36 years old. Since that time, I have moved forward with helping people live their best life, and I haven't turned back. This show is about learning to be present, open, and intentional in every area of your life. Keep listening to hear what I've been thinking, and be sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Hey, hey, it's Coach Dr. Kim. As promised, you get a special bonus show because we are closing out Women's History Month. And today I have with me Tim Shell Tarbett. I connected with Tim Shell through our membership in an organization called Chief. Chief is designed for women in the C-suite, senior executives, and accomplished VPs to strengthen their leadership, magnify their influence, and pave the way to bring others with them. Tim Shell's MBA started at SCAN in December 2020 as VP of Business Excellence and Diversity Strategy. She is focused leading initiatives expanding inclusivity both from human resources standpoint, but also as a means for SCAN to differentiate themselves by serving new and existing populations in ways that are linguistically and culturally competent. Prior to SCAN, she spent 16 years at Portland-based Cambia Health Solutions, which is part of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association of Plans. During her tenure at Cambia, Tim Shell led the ethics department, where she succeeded in transforming the program into a nationally recognized award-winning program, which enhanced engagement across a 5,500 FTE organization. She also spent time at Cambia leading the enterprise risk management and corporate accountability areas and in human resources as a human resources business partner, manager, compensation, diversity, equity, inclusion, and human resources information services. Prior to Cambia, Tim Shell worked in human resources at Multnomah, uh-oh, she may have to correct me on that, County, the State of Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and was a staff sergeant in the United States Air Force. Tim Shell wears a cape, y'all. She is the proud mother of Mikhail, 24, and Keenan, 16. Please welcome to the show, Tim Shell Tarbett, who has a Master's of Business Administration and a Bachelor of Science Administration from the University of Phoenix. I have a real-life superhero woman with me. Clap your hands for Tim Shell Tarbett. Thank How you are you? So much. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am fantastic. I am so excited to have you here. That bio is just like I, you know, it was it was really good. And then I got down there and saw fish and wildlife, and I'm like, I have I don't know if I ever met anybody that worked with the fish and wildlife. <laughs> you have you've had a diverse work background, and um, so I'm just gonna start right there. Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell us about it. It's it's one of the things that, you know, I, to me, it just is like, it's my past, right? I mean, it, it's really been an evolution of, I think, opportunities and growth, um, partially from the connections that I've made. So um, I went into the Air Force. It was something that I was really wanting to do and very driven. I come from a military family. I think um, at one point I was presenting on a Veterans Day panel and I had counted up at that point my family between like five or six of us had like 99 years of combined military service. Mm. Um, 
So I spent some time in the Air Force. And then when I got out, you know, I was doing HR work in the Air Force. And so it made sense to just keep doing that. Um, and went home to Oregon and found, um, you know, different roles. Um, but also then as folks would move out of those roles, like I was at Fish and Wildlife and um, one of our leaders there moved to Multnomah County. And then she called me and she's like, hey, I, I got a job for you. You got to come over here. Right. So um, it has been a lesson in opportunities, but building relationships, um, coming in and doing my best and working hard, but also being on the lookout for the, you know, what I want to do next and always pushing myself to learn and to grow. So um, it's been fun. Yeah. I mean, it seems like you're really open to learning and trying new things. Um, how did you transition from fish and wildlife to more into healthcare and DEI? Like, how did that transition happen? I think, you know, really what ended up happening is um, I, at, at Multnomah County, actually. So I, that was where I went before I moved over to Cambia, which is part of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association of Plans. Um, we had uh, a health department there, you know, county health department. And I, I had a fair amount of, um, you know, I did work with the nurses and the nursing association and some other areas and saw you know, even though I was in HR, there were there were things that I really wanted to do and changes that I was hoping that I could help drive. Um, also, um, was ready to leave the government type work. So, you know, working for a state, federal, or county government, there there was less opportunity. I felt like to make meaningful change and to mm -hmm. kind of push the envelope a little bit. So the uh, there was a role that came up at, at Cambia and, you know, I, I applied for it and I got it. They had, I actually interviewed, I was eight months pregnant and they offered me the job and I said, yeah, but I need a couple weeks off at, you know, in a few weeks. And they're like, what's going on? And I was like, well, I'm pregnant. And they were like shocked. Um, but, you know, I went over there and took a couple weeks off and then spent 16 years really, you know, I feel like doing something that was really meaningful. One of the things about Cambia was they were not-for-profit, right? So being mm -hmm. in healthcare, um, but not trying to make money off of people's health, but instead to really try and serve individuals um, when they're, in a lot of cases, at their most vulnerable, uh, was meaningful to me. Even though I'm not a doctor or in one of those forward-facing roles, it still allowed me to have that service component um, and know that I was working for meaningful change. Okay, awesome. How long were you in the Air Force um, active duty? Or are you um, still? No, no. I, <laughs> active duty, they wouldn't take me now if I tried. <laughs> um, I was in for almost eight years. Okay. So, yep, spent some time um, in lots of different places. So Idaho, um, South Carolina, uh, Germany, uh, Italy, Kosovo, um, you know, couple yeah, of you were... so, so what I'm thinking of, I'm trying to figure out like how I even want to come at this question. I have a really close friend who is in the Air Force Reserve now. Um, she was um, active duty at one point in time. Um, so I, you know, I've never been in the military, but I hear things. Um, 
so I'm trying to, what I want to ask you is like, how, how have you been groomed for leadership as a woman? And is what, what differences do you notice like in military versus civilian um, to the extent that you can speak about it, I guess? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I had read through, I know that you had sent me some questions beforehand and I was, I was hoping that you would ask that one in a lot of ways. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and here's why, because I have reflected on this a lot since getting out of military. So, or getting out of the Air Force. So one of the things um, in order to be, to lead people in the Air Force, you have to go through, um, we call it Airman Leadership School. And I know that, you know, there's different things in, in other branches of service, but that Airman Leadership School was a six week school where we actually like were pulled out of our homes, put into dorms and we all lived together and we legit went to class from like 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. And we were taught not just how to manage people, but really how to lead them, how to hold them accountable, how to inspire them, you know, how to, how to be a leader. Because I do think that there's a difference between being a manager of, you know, giving, assigning your PTO and, you know, approving time off and hiring and firing um, and more into the inspiring and the leadership and, and setting those expectations. Agreed. Um, and I really, really think that in doing that, it enabled me um, at a pretty young age, right? But uh, to know to know things that I've seen people who are amazing individual contributors that get to a point where they then move them into a, a leadership role. So you're now a manager and you have people that report into you and you don't know how to lead them. Yeah. You know how to approve time off. A lot of times you don't even know how what to say if you need to coach them. And and so I feel like I'm I feel so incredibly blessed because I I had that at the beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it enabled it enabled me to, you know, show up differently than when I started after in my civilian life having, having those, you know, leadership opportunities and whether they were, you know, the official leadership opportunities of people that I was, that I had hiring and firing or, you know, folks that I mentored or others uh, or other teams, you know, being responsible for a team and, you know, a cross-functional team. So I really feel like the military, that training was key. And I wish I saw more intentional um, commitment to it um, in the civilian world. Yeah. Really. So, do do you feel you had less, more, or the same ability to navigate the workplace as a civilian than other women? And I mean, I don't know if that's a fair question, but you know, um, I don't know. Answer it the best way you see fit. Having had that proactive training. Yeah, so that training was being, you know, that training was specific to like being a leader, right? Mm -hmm. So then when you think about adding on to being a woman, one of the things um, from a female standpoint is if you're in the military, there's normally more men, right? Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the the fields are are mainly dominated by men. Um, And so you get, and you live together. You're, you know, you, you're literally together all the time. Um, and so I feel like in a lot of ways, it enabled me 
um, to be more prepared mm -hmm. um, because I had a little bit different take on it. A lot of times I was, we were, if you're the only one in a lot of instances, you're treated as one of the guys. Um, and so, you, you know, it's almost like you're pulling back a little bit of a curtain. I don't golf, but I can imagine being, if I, if I was a female golfer as an executive, you know, a lot of times they need that plus one. Um, yeah. Going to enter, I can imagine it would be like that, right? Where you 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 see a different side of folks, and so without seeing that side, um, I think it makes it hard sometimes to relate, especially when you're, you know, dealing with some of the the challenging items or the things where it would be so much easier to make assumptions about why somebody is showing up the way they are, um, and you know, I think it it made it so that folks were more real to me. Um, mm. because I saw some of that other side, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like I would be more prepared. That being said, I don't know because I never went the other path. Um, right. I what I've noticed and, and how yeah. I to show up. Okay. So that's interesting, but you do know that at least people didn't feel like they had to pretend around you or be somebody else, at least in, in the context of the military when no, you were in the military. Okay. Absolutely not. Yeah. So now you're post-military, you're in the workplace. Um, where did you start out at and how did that leadership journey progress? So when I got out, I did a quick stint um, at a staffing service and realized that I am not a good person to just do like that, recruit, employ somebody, recruit. <laughs> You're like, no. <laughs> Thank you. So I, you know, I kind of moved to, um, I moved to Department of Fish and Wildlife and I didn't, I didn't have any kind of leadership roles there. Um, but then I moved over to Multnomah County and in that I actually did end up taking on um, some leadership roles, both formally and informally um, with, uh, I ran the front desk area of our HR at Multnomah County. And then I also was, I mean, it's not a direct leadership, but I was, I was part of our um, uh, employee, our labor relations. Uh, so we would be um, working with the unions on stuff and mm -hmm you know, as, as you're going out and interacting or, you know, doing assessments and, and working with folks, you know, they look at you as, as the expert. And so, you know, there's times where I definitely didn't feel like the expert, but I was, you know, that I was trying to figure it out and, you know, make it till you make it. So um, there was definitely those opportunities. Um, and then moving over to Cambia, you know, I, I very quickly, when I got there, um, I was in school, I ended up getting my master's, uh, got promoted, started running our comp area. And then I think what ended up happening is they realized that I had this knack, and this will probably go back to my military training for holding people accountable, You know, not being afraid to um, coach and guide people if they weren't performing and there were some underperforming teams. And so to really um, get those a little bit more formalized into, you know, better, better working teams and, and that. And so, um, and then my path just grew from there and I would get a little itchy and say, I think I need something else. And they would be like, okay, what can we give you? You know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was great. It was, it was amazing opportunities. Um, I had some amazing mentors too, though. So I think right. that's always, and people that, you know, I could bounce stuff off of. So when and where did diversity, equity, and inclusion 
formally make its way into the past? So it formally made its way in at Cambia. We did not have any kind of a DEI program there. Um, and they had made a couple fits and starts of trying to get it going. And I, it just, it didn't happen um, for one reason or another. It wasn't because there wasn't commitment because um, there, was, there was a commitment. It was just, there was a lot to do. Um, and I got asked when I kind of got one of my itchy terms, I was like, hey, I need, I need something else. And they're like, well, why don't you take a run at this? And so um, I, you know, did uh, a couple of things that I thought, you know, was a little start. And then I had um, an employee that worked with me. Um, she was actually part of my comp team and she was also really passionate about it. And so um, between her and I, we were able to, you know, I took certain things and she would take others and we were able to um, grow the program there. And then, you know, we both moved on and handed it off to the next person and they were able to continue to grow it. So um, it was, I'd say probably three or four years after I'd been at Cambia that I started doing the work. Um, and, you know, it was incredibly rewarding as I was, you know, as I've reflected back and thinking now, you know, we didn't have any employee resource groups and mm. um, leaving, you know, there were very formal programs for, you know, I, I saw opportunities. We had one call for our, our, our women and it was called the Women's Employee Leadership Lab. And it was, you know, these women were able to create pitch decks and get in front of our senior leaders and pitch new businesses and new ideas and process improvement. And it's like, you know, they wouldn't have had those opportunities and, you know, they were getting connections with executives and coaching and you just reflect back on, you know, what might have seemed like a lift at the time and I got yelled at for certain things and they, you know, I look back and I think about it was so worth it because there are so many lives that were changed um, because of that. And so yeah. to me, that's, that's what really... It, it's just so rewarding. That's awesome. That is so awesome. So in light of all the um, events, you know, that have happened over the past months, years, um, how has that changed or influenced your approach to your work? You know, the George Floyd um, and the list goes on. I won't even list all the things, but there's been so many things that have happened. And even with the recent um, Supreme Court um, things, <laughs> events and uh, conversations surrounding that, um, how does that influence your work? You know, I think it influences it in a couple of ways. One, there is much more of a Uh, what do, how do I want to, there's much more of an acknowledgement that there are, that there are problems and that there are challenges mm -hmm. um, from the folks that I think in the past were probably in some ways still allies, but they didn't, they weren't able to like acknowledge it and put it out there into the world in the way that, you know, they, they are now. Mm. Um, so I, I, but I also think that the folks that might've been on the other side of that, who don't think that there's issues have probably dug in a little bit more. Um, I, I find it incredibly unfortunate that it has become so politicized. 
yeah. honestly, I mean, for me, again, I ran ethics for a while, but there's there's right and then there's wrong that has nothing to do with politics. And I, I do think that a lot of the DEI work, um, it has a policy component from the policies that have been built over generations and generations and the long-term effects of those policies. But I think we've landed so far over into um, painting everything by that and not really recognizing the humanistic piece of mm -hmm. you know, how, um, how systemic racism treats and affects people from you know, their health um, mm -hmm. to you know, their opportunities in, in life. And you know, just because you know, somebody recognizes that there might be systemic racism or something like that, it doesn't take away from anybody else. And what I've actually seen is a lot more defensiveness from individuals who might be, you might consider them, you know, on the lower income of the scale, but they don't have the, the systemic racism also affecting them um, mm -hmm. and holding them back there. And so it's been more of a divide. You know, I feel like a large boulders come up between the two sides, which in some ways makes it easier for me to have plain talk and to say, okay, look, this is what we need to talk about. Um, but in other ways, it makes it challenging because I do think that there are folks who might have been able to be swayed or at least brought along that are now just digging their heels in. Um, but, you know, I think it's a journey. I'm, I'm learning. I learn every day. And I think it's important to, you know, continue to, to learn and to try and figure out, you know, what I don't know and how I might be able to challenge myself and then find ways to, within that challenge, to go out and evangelize it and share it with others. Yeah. Um, because you never know if your one comment or connection is gonna land and resonate in a way with somebody that if you didn't do that, it might not you know, create the change that you want to see in the world, right? As right. As, so I, I really believe in that. And I also recognize, and I think I'm much more aware of the toll from a health, I mean, working for a healthcare company, especially one that is taking care of seniors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I start thinking about the toll that, you know, this stuff has had on their bodies um, over time, it, it makes me very aware. So I know that we were chatting about, you know, the Supreme Court um, hearings and I, I was watching, you know, Judge Brown carry herself and it just made me think, how is that physically affecting her? What is it doing to her system? You know, there's increased cortisol. What is it doing to her brain? Those are the, and I'm not a doctor, mm. but those are the types yeah. of things that I think about. Um, and I try and share them out with others because, so many times we talk about housing or, you know, living on, you know, having access to um, fruits and vegetables, um, but, or, you know, walking, but we don't talk about the fact of, you know, if you're walking and somebody, which has happened to me, somebody yells out the car, uh, car window, a, a word that I think we all know that we don't want to repeat. Right. Yep. Been there, done that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it's the physical also. And what does that mm -hmm. physically do to me? And how is that then speeding me up? And so that's, you know, I'm trying to focus on less about the touchy points and more about those things. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so yeah, and I don't know, a lot of my listeners are, are definitely aware of this. Um, so at 36, stress and trauma does um, have a toll. At 36, I had a stroke. Wow. Yeah. So I'm a living witness that, and with no underlying medical conditions, I was not, everybody's like, you must have had high blood pressure. I did not. I had just ran a 5k a few days before with my daughter. Um, I was healthy. So it was, the doctor was like, I think it was just stress. Yeah. Um, So when they say stress kills, it does. And stress includes being treated with um, poorly, including racism and living in poverty, being yelled at out of car windows, living in low wages, all those social determinants that probably talk about. That includes, that. that is stress. <laughs> so just, right. I'm sorry to go in a tire, you yeah. know, I, I digress, but it, that that is stress. <laughs> you're, speaking, you're speaking to the choir here. So. <laughs> I, I fully agree. Yeah. So with all of that in mind and the work line of work that you're in, how do you take care of yourself? Like, how do you relieve that stress in, in the face of all the, you know, things that you teach and talk about and advocate for? I mean, I probably shouldn't say wine, but wine helps. I mean, if you're being honest. <laughs> if you're being honest, there's some wine involved. I, um, I like to knit. Um, oh, so I knit not really well, but a little bit. <laughs> I love knitting and creating things like that. Um, I have animals. I love animals. I think, you know, I I'm in LA right now, but I have um, horses in Oregon, and I can tell you that there are times where I've been so stressed, and I can walk out and just lay my head against one of my horses, and you know, you get kind of like that whole body hug and the smell, but just there, it will just it's almost like they pull the stress out of me with, with their, with their presence. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's animals, it's knitting, it's wine, it's, you know, planting stuff. And, you know, those are the things that I like to do. I like to roller skate with my, now that I don't do very well, um, but roller skate with my dogs. I used to love to run um, and to play basketball and to, you know, be, active but I've had five knee surgeries and one hip replacement so far so that's not happening anymore I yeah I can roller skate because I'm not jamming on the on the stuff but the rest of it is really I think I want to come out and have a retreat you got horses like (laughs) I do come love on my horses it's fine oh that is so cool yeah I only get to do horses like we have birthday parties and stuff and the kids are like let's do horseback riding right yeah that's amazing I always think those horses look a little bit depressed though walking around in a circle with a bunch of kids on their back they do but there's a farm near us that um they take really good care of the horses so we try to be very selective yeah (laughs) yeah so what is your aspiration? I, I did not give you this question, so I'm sorry. But like, as someone who is in the DEI space, what is your like aspiration for corporations to like, what would be like, if you walked into a new corporation and they had a DEI program, 
what would it look like? Like, what would just make you be like, wow, they are really, they really have it together. Yeah. I think it would be where they would clearly state and say that they are an anti-racist organization. I mean, they would be doing a lot of, you know, the work um, that needs to be done. Um, there is a lot of work out there that talks about it, I think, but you have to create a culture and then you have to go deep into the organization and say, you know, this is, this is right, this is wrong, you know, analyze your processes. And mm -hmm. I think right now, you know, in the DEI space, there are so many organizations that are really focusing on the employee experience, which is amazing and it needs to be done. Um, and there's others that do some supplier diversity, right? And I think that's amazing and it needs to be done. But there's more than that. I mean, I watched um, a video of um, a medical office and it's, it's an older video and it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it was um, a video of somebody who was trans who walked into the office. And by the way, it was like a training video. So it was something that they had, had made up. But they walked in and they looked around and, you know, they were looking at like what was on the walls, how were they talked to, what questions were they asked on the questionnaire, you know, what, how were they called back, you know, were mm. they called back by the correct pronoun, what pictures do you have, what magazines do you have out, do you feel comfortable? So mm -hmm. to walk into any place, any organization and feel like it doesn't matter what color my skin is, what my religion is, if I have a disability, um, you know, what I identify as, but that I am going to get the same, um, not just treatment, but possibilities as everybody else. Mm. Right? Possibility, yeah. yeah. Yes. I want it to affirm who I am as an individual because I, I, am a, I am just as important as an individual as anybody else. So that to me is where I like if if organizations and corporations could do that, and it's mm -hmm. a lot of hard work because it's that's a whole wow the same possibilities because when you put it that way it means that you have that policy you have that guideline and the person delivering the service looks at me and sees a human and will take the time to envision that what's on that paper may not suit me and will think outside the box. Yes. They go beyond the, the written cookie cutter approach. Because the written cookie cutter approach does not work for everybody. I mean, I yeah. think when I think about, um, I, you know, I've had, I mean, you had a stroke. I had a son who had, my older son, Mikel, had leukemia. My mother died of a brain tumor. Um, mm. And I know, and I, you know, I know that like there's, from a medical standpoint, this is the easiest way to explain it, but there's like a course of treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, for brain tumors, they want to give you steroids. Well, yeah. my mom's allergic to steroids. So you have to look at everybody's course of treatment individually on who we are, right? So it should be like that for everything. But instead we're like, well, this is how we set it up. And so this is how it's gonna be. Not thinking about the fact that, well, who set it up 
And were they really trying to set it up for anybody other than who they were envisioning? Mm. You know, did they yeah. honoring yeah, people? Like, right. Yeah, research traditionally doesn't have recruit <laughs> a diverse group of folks. So, I mean, they're trying to change that now, but it's, it's going to take some time. I think that there's, you know, well, and so, you know, going back to the question that you asked um, earlier, I think there are people out there who are huge allies that have a voice and have power and are trying to make some of those changes. Um, obviously, it's not as fast as anybody would want, um, but, you know, I I want to try and find and look for, you know, the positive, and I don't mm -hmm. know that those people those those allies would have been as empowered if yeah. the times that we have been in have it wouldn't have happened. You know, it's easier yeah. to put your head in the sand if it's not sitting right in front of your face. Right. It's the catalyst. It was the yeah. catalyst. Yeah. 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 So Michelle, have we left any stone unturned? Is there any like thing burning on your heart before I ask you my final question? No, I, I mean, not that I can think of other than, you know, as each of us interacts, I think one of the things that we need to do is support each other mm -hmm. and to be able to be vulnerable with each other and to just say, hey, I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, I appreciate you inviting me on here mm -hmm. um, and to talk, but also to, you know, lift each other up. That's one of the things about Chief that I'm, I'm super excited yeah. about how we can support each other and and know that you know each of us in our own way I don't I don't think there's too many people out there that are really trying to be bad people I mean mm -hmm. I think some truly evil people you know I mean I know that we can we probably watch plenty of shows about them on tv <laughs> right I'm thinking Ted Bundy and those guys but <laughs> I don't I don't think that anybody is truly trying to be malicious and so if we assume positive intent and we try and find middle ground because there's so many things that we have in common with the next person that we might not realize if we just put up those walls um, that we could probably make some changes faster than we would realize. I completely agree. I mean, just in this interview alone, I learned like knitting. I mean, it seems so trivial, but we have common ground. Like there's, yeah. there's something you can find and we can build each other up and go so much further together. And since this is Women's History Month and that's what we're talking about, specifically we're talking to women and we don't have to compete with each other to get ahead in that sense. We can collaborate and share and network, invite each other like, um, like I did for this podcast and vice versa and use each other's networks um and that's what chief does and that's what everyone can do to some extent so um this is just an, an example of how we can use leverage our power to do that and so i'm just saying do it <laughs> trust me i it, agree it worth I, it <laughs> i agree fully agree yes and so the final question and the theme of this show is how do you stay present, open, and intentional in your daily life? 
I'll be honest, there are times where I, I fall down on this. Um, and, and so one of the things that I've really tried to do, um, especially recently, is one, taking that time for myself, whether it be, you know, a quick workout or meditation or, um, you know, or something. I also, if you were to flip it around, I know I'm looking at you through a computer screen, but I have sticky notes on my, that remind me of some of those things about being intentional, about how I should feel about myself, mm -hmm. um, but also how I should show up. Um, I also I have a vision board that I walk by every day and I, I intentionally stop and look at it. Um, and, you know, I was very, Dolly Parton is on that board um, because I think, you know, she inspires a lot of that being very intentional and being very open. Um, so, you know, I have multiple different pathways um, that I use. Some of them I use every day and some of them when I don't use them, I know and I can feel physically that I haven't used them and I have to reset and go back and, and engage again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the physical. Yeah, it's amazing. The body is so, if you just get in tune with your body, it will tell you what you need. <laughs> I from just simple thirst to like to let you know you're dehydrated to fatigue needing rest um weariness and needing social connection I mean it is it is really just a full stop like a signal and if you don't tune in soon at the big you know proactively and that's when you get to the stroke level i.e me <laughs> when that happened, I, I had all kinds of signals and I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. Drink another cup of coffee. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so interesting how your, how your body and your mind are connected and, and mm -hmm. how it affects. But I also can tell by, you know, what I'm accomplishing at work, how creative I feel if I'm not, you know, really mm -hmm. opening myself up, then I kind of hit these walls and I get more and more frustrated and it becomes like this you know yeah snowball going down the hill that I just I don't want to do so mm -hmm. uh, you know and I think if I do that then how how am I making the change for others that really need right. me to make that change so yeah yeah yep so in order to be present open and intentional listeners we do have to take care of ourselves and so I encourage you to have a practice it doesn't have to be elaborate um not everyone meditates, um, not everyone runs, or but it needs to be personal and effective for you. And so um, start with something that allows you to slow down for a moment and just be still. Stillness is necessary. I stand by that because um, we go, go, go. We scroll, scroll, scroll. <laughs> and um <laughs> we 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 have to take time to, and breathe breathing is a great intentional practice and everybody can do that <laughs> one of the ones i have on my computer screen and it's yeah in those deep breaths because it does mm -hmm. it helps reground you and refocus so yeah so i i that's a challenge i challenge everyone listening to start with deep breathing um you don't have to go anywhere to do it and just right where you are so 
Well, we could talk forever because Tim Shell and I hit it off. We we were talking before we started recording. I th- we didn't even start the interview yet. So <laughs> I am so thankful that you agreed to be on the show. Um, this has been a big hit. And I think I'm going to have to have you back because you just have a wealth of knowledge to share. And um, we can get really deep into some stuff. I think maybe like when I have a special topic or something, um, I don't know, my brain is really going because I've been thinking. That's why it's called I've Been Thinking. Um, <laughs> it never stops. So thank you. This has been Kim. I've Been Thinking Kim's Coaching. And until the next time, everyone, peace out. Thank you. To schedule a session with Kim, visit www.kimregis.com where you can learn more about her. You can also book a free life coaching consultation. Find the link to her book, Meeting Just Fine, A Life-Changing Encounter, available on Amazon.com. View her TED-style talk and download useful resources. Tune in next week for more I've Been Thinking, Kim's Coaching.